John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Entry 158.MT1517, certificate number 42964. Brown sound. I mean, it was like it was like somebody was actually drumming on my chest. Wow. And it was really intense. And the other thing was, you know how when you speak, there's like a oh, I, oh. I could feel that just breathing. Those are still really long wavelengths, and so it is actually physically moving air in and out of your lungs. Uh, as you breathe. What do you think the loudest sound you've ever heard is? Can you think back on onto uh, on your life and remember when you heard a sound so loud that you were uncomfortable? Was that a Ravenettes show? Uh huh. The Ravenettes. Do you know those guys? Of like a uh, Danish? Are they Danish? Yeah. Or Dutch. Danish. It's, Dutch. The, it's the same country. I'm pretty sure. Danish. You know, they're they're from Holland. They're Danish. Um, let's see. I, I remember the Ravenettes quite well, and I think they were. I'm gonna say Danish. The Ravenettes. It's gonna be like none of the above. Danish. Yeah. They were Danish. Good job. Good job. Ken, you have control of the board. kind of this dreamy kind of beautiful harmony sound but then like really like droning loud kind of my bloody valentine kind of guitar right going on and on the record it's just such a relaxing listen so i, I gotta show up at the show i think at the crocodile with no earplugs or anything right you're just thinking it's going to be an ambient wash. i'm going to be swaying like i've never swayed before uh-huh. getting your happy mondays on i'll be in a dorvay state of wake sleep <laughs> Uh-huh. Instead, it is this sonic assault. And I stood in multiple parts of the room and it was insanely loud everywhere. And I had just been led to believe that I would not need to bring ear protection. I'm too old for this sort of thing. Right. You were led to believe that or you just assumed you wouldn't need <laughs> What I say led to believe? <laughs> I mean, by my own misassumptions. Right. So I'm sure I've heard, I'm sure I've been near a helicopter or a plane or something that was louder. Or, or maybe just the silence after a failed joke. Uh-huh. Oh, there's, that's so loud. I've never actually happened to me, but I've seen it t- happen to <laughs> others. And it's so discomforting. And, uh, but you were experiencing what you, uh, low notes rather than the shrieking highs, loud notes or uh, loud high pitch notes like a jet engine. 
having a very different effect on one than than it's true. Subwoofer this this was much more of a kind of a rumble, right? Well, so that rumble effect, that low, low reverberant pitch mm-hmm. that affects you bodily. Uh, for what was that? I just had a very low, low rumbling. Yeah, thing that's. That, me. I, I hope that made it onto the microphone. That was. Well-timed, well-placed. It was actually our producer, Chuck, asking about our onboarding call. Oh, really? Yeah, he's, he's concerned. Oh, I thought maybe you were sort of playing out our biblical quote for this episode through your own corpus. Uh, but that effect that you felt of the low frequency reverberating kind of within your, within your body, right? You're not hearing, it's not loud so much in your ears, although it is that, but also you were feeling it as a, as a cresting wave. Yeah. And that, um, physical effect has inspired people over many years to imagine that there's a sound, a low sound, low frequency that at a significant enough volume could actually do damage to the human body. And is this kind of is there evidence for this or is this kind of magical thinking like, because, you know, there's a tradition in storytelling that there are certain sounds that will accomplish certain things, you know, whether it's Alibaba saying open sesame or, um, do you know the lost chord, the, the song by, um, Sir Arthur Sullivan of Gilbert and Sullivan. It's about a guy playing on his piano and he suddenly accidentally hits an amazing sound that just, um, transports him mystically and spiritually. It's, it sounds like a great amen. And then he can never recapture that moment of bliss that he found. I feel like that happens every time I sit at the piano. I tinker around and then it's like, ah, I accomplished an amazing amen. And then I go to record it and it doesn't sound like an amen. But is it because you don't remember it? No, I'll hit oh. the exact same chord and the amen is just not there. Because I feel like this song, which by the way, was the hugest hit of the Victorian era. This is like you know, Uptown Funk or, or uh-huh. you know, that's the song of the summer, 1885. <laughs> uh, this is huge. This And it's just a song about a, a forgetful guy. And is it in the sheet music, the, an attempt to create this, <laughs> <laughs> this magic chord? It's true. Tricky to write the, uh, tricky to write the music for a mystical chord that probably doesn't exist. Yeah. Talk about gaslighting. It's like you're sitting at the piano, like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. Not happening. No, the song will not contain the lost chord or it wouldn't be lost anymore. But there, there has been, I mean, throughout history, right, sound played a role in warfare. You've got the Israelites, you know, blasting their trumpets. Oh, the Battle of Jericho? That's right. So the walls actually fall down. The walls fall down according to the Bible. And are we thinking this is actually some kind of waveform? Are there, are well, there... You would know better than I whether or not the Bible was the literal truth. Of... But what I'm saying is, are there like A&E specials about the science behind Jericho. No, I think it's generally accepted that it was just some loud trumpet playing that scared, scared people behind the walls, but that uh, warfare has always used every means at their disposal, including menacing beating of drums, uh, blaring of horns, shouting. I mean, there's been a sonic component that is usually meant to strike fear in the hearts of your enemies. I wonder how recently there were drummers, a drummer in every company, because that's also kind of a, uh, it's the same as a drummer in a band. It's so everybody knows what to do at what time. Right. right? And a drummer could communicate over vast distances and communicate maneuvers, right, uh, of troops. What if your whole company gets slaughtered at Shiloh or whatever because the drummer sped up? Because, yeah, or the drummer started to do something a little funky. He put a little <laughs> swing into it and you're like, what am I supposed to do now? But it's true. In an era before electronic communication, you could only communicate with, if you were a commander, 
communicate with large numbers of troops either through flags or runners or most efficiently through drums. Guy with a drum. I don't understand the fife. I mean, that makes clear why you have the drum. Not sure why you need the second guy with the fife. Is it just, is it just the drummer being like, ah, this needs something, man? Well, there weren't that many instruments that were loud enough to get over the top of a, a drum. Like if you had a saxophone player, well, first of all, <laughs> the instrument would get clogged with dirt, right? A fife is a very simple instrument. It'd just be some guy like cleaning his reed. Doing that weird thing with his mouth. <laughs> Trying to get his oboe to like soften up. You don't want to have to worry about embrasure when there's bullets whizzing by your head. And an acoustic guitar just wouldn't be like. <laughs> hey guys, yeah. that's for anti-war material. Exactly. That's for when you're in a Unitarian church. So you're saying the fi the fife is very high pitch. It's high pitch. It's loud. And the, and, and the pitch matters, right? Because uh, drums are typically, I mean, uh, snare drums in particular, pretty high. Uh, all, in all the frequency pitch, all range. All pitches matter, John. All pitches matter. But then a bass drum, very low, and low notes travel much further, are resonant uh, uh, a greater distance because their way, the waveform that they make through the air is a longer, fatter wave, and it takes it takes longer to develop and it travels further distances. I don't know if I believe your theory about the fife because is the fifer, fifest, fifer, is the fifer actually communicating anything or is he just going... No, I imagine he could probably be like. It seems like it seems like he's just playing a jaunty tune. Well, but when was the last time you went into battle with a Revolutionary War era army? Maybe you need a jaunty tune, yeah. Huh? Maybe that's what it takes to get uh, Minutemen ready. I bet you, if you were commanding a, a large group of troops on a battlefield like that, you would use every means at your disposal, <laughs> including the the, the including fifest. the fife. That's right. Or, or there were there were bagpipes, right? No, am I wrong? Absolutely. Wouldn't there have been a piper out on a certain kind of a Celtic or, or Pictish battle? Well, I think there were bagpipists even in well, Vietnam. I think there are bag, <laughs> bagpipists still in UK uh, formations. Maybe not in battle, but I think in World War II there were still people playing the bagpipes. Isn't there a famous uh, special forces guy who played the bagpipes and fought with a bow and arrow? In World War II? Right. That'll be yeah. another omnibus. John, John Rambo, I think. Uh, John Do you Rambo. not remember the part in Rambo 3 where he's got the bagpipes in Afghanistan? Well, there's that time in Rambo 2 where he blows up an entire waterfall with one bow and arrow. But no bagpipe. Uh, no, he did not have a bagpipe. That's Rowdy Roddy Piper you're thinking of. <laughs> I, always in, get, they live. I always get They Live and Rambo <laughs> confused. It's uh, easy to do. They both wear sunglasses. No, no, wait, that's Cobra. Okay, never mind. But... Uh, the brown sound. Brown, brown sound. sound. Now we've mentioned it here at 12 minutes into the show. So That's this good. is, I'm trying to. I'm it's going to be a short one. We can break for lunch early. Trying to tighten up our shows. Can we always say brown, brown sound? sound? How many licks does it take to get to the center of a brown sound? I think it might be, what am I? I think in Singing in the Rain. Have you seen Singing in the Rain? Of course. The MacGuffin of the movie is um, sound film. They're all silent film actors who have to learn to talk for real. Right. Like this happened in real life. A lot of actors did not make the transition sure, to sound. Sure, Lillian Gish, it turned out, had a, had a weird- She talks like this. <laughs> That's <a> what? <laughs> Darling, I love yeah. you. Uh, yeah, she they all talked like Gilbert Gottfried, <laughs> <laughs> apparently. <laughs> the aristocrats. <laughs> Uh, so there's a scene where they're all getting vocal training and I think there's this kind of large woman and she keeps trying to get Gene Hagen, the, the shrill voiced, uh, romantically to use round Oof. sounds. <laughs> and of course, Gene Hagen's like round sounds, <laughs> round sounds. 
So I think that's why we need to say brown, uh, brown sound. Can you not roll an R? I cannot. I, I cannot curl my tongue, and my tongue is a very, um, I would say, inarticulate instrument. I have and it a, should be the most articulate. It should part of your body, right? Well, it's one of the I may perhaps one of the 10. reasons that I uh, that I have difficulty uh, with uh, transliteration and different pronunciations. Good thing you're not a professional like vocalist and broadcaster. Well, but you know, you, as a professional rock vocalist, you are not asked to imitate anything else. You can just make your own sounds, and people accept them. You can just go blah blah blah, and and people go, he's got a really distinctive vocal sound. I feel like there must be rock vocalists who could roll a good R. There are plenty. Freddie Mercury but or... I, uh, I have something called a geographic tongue, which is a... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you have a geographic tongue? A geographic tongue is a kind of tongue. So your tongue just leaves your mouth and explores the Amazon and the Arctic? It's really wonderful. My tongue has a little pith helmet and it uh, <laughs> it strikes out. No, Could it's... Try a, to convert the natives to... To the long winters. Yeah, we uh, and then ends up with a shrunken head on a post. That's what happens to every geographic tongue I've ever known. What is geographic tongue? It's something called glossitis uh, or uh, migratory glossitis. It's just a, it's a condition where my tongue swells up under different, uh, when I eat different foods and it has, my tongue has fissures in it. Uh, that are, fish, and this is why it's called geographic because your tongue looks like a landform. It does. It has a lot of, um, a lot more surface area than a normal person's tongue because it has deep canyons in it. And it's a, <laughs> and it's a, a, I want to do Google earth of your tongue. It's a fatter tongue and it doesn't, I can't curl it or do other little tricks with it, but like, I can't stick out your tongue. Nah. Like, so it's kind of like splotchy. Uh-huh. What what would you say the outline of it is supposed to look like? Is uh -huh. Do you see the, uh, the the fissures? There's a fissure down down the middle, and then two on the side. Uh -huh. You you all can't see this, which is you're lucky, honestly. And if I and if, but it's got a light colored splotch in the middle, like it's an island or a continent. Yeah, the splotchiness is part of the condition, and it migrates. It's oh, it's a different. I was about to say, what country do you think your your splotches resemble? But it's a different splotch every day of the week. Yeah, my tongue changes uh, its <gasps> shape and constituency, and it has splotches that come and go on the sides, like and the, on the heavens. Tip. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's I have a I have a, a Milky Way in my mouth. <laughs> I love to have a Milky Way in my mouth, but <laughs> but, but certain is, foods really uh, really irritate it, and my tongue sometimes will swell up to the point that I it's very uncomfortable. I have to stop eating. I have to kind of just wait for it to subside. Can you do this? No, I cannot do that. The thing where you curl your tongue like a tube. I can't do that. I can't. Have you ever leak. seen? I can't do any. Have of you ever things. seen the thing where the people can do some weird origami with oh, their yeah, tongues? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They disturbing. make a W out of it. It looks like an orchid or a. George O'Keefe painting or something? No, my tongue is basically if you took a cow liver and you cut it uh, long ways with a knife multiple times and then I'm with you so far. stuck it in my mouth. Whoa, except, whoa, whoa, whoa. There, except, there you lost me. Except sometimes actually, because I, I also have very big... Uh, nipples. Uh, no, I have tiny nipples, but I have big... Uh, uh, what are the... Papillae, taste buds. Bud, taste buds, right. Really big taste buds. They're like, uh, and they will individually get swollen. It's not the greatest, but it's also <laughs> not the worst. It's just what I've always had. It used to, when I was a little kid, uh, it would freak people out. But then I think there are enough people that understand what a geographical. So here are the uh, upsides that, as I understand it, you freak people out. That's always you been an upside. You sometimes have to stop eating. Yep. You Can't cannot eat. roll your R's. Can't roll my R's or gleek or do any of the cool tongue things that people do. 
That doesn't seem to be a ton of upside. I also can't do the like super good dad whistle where you put two fingers in your mouth and go. Okay, I can't do that either, but I think it's just like I haven't put my mind to it. Yeah, I feel like that. I felt like that for a long time until I realized whatever you need to do with your tongue in that situation, I can't do. Do you know what my dad's dad whistle is? And mm. I think it's a Korean taxi whistle. So you learned this in Korea. You pinch your lower lip and inhale sharply. So you inhale rather than exhale. And it's, it's really shrill and it's, it's, it's like a Pfeiffer mm -hmm. on, on Lexington and Concord or whatever. Like it cuts over every crowd. But and you're in Gangnam town and you're <laughs> trying to get a cab. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Or if you're my dad, you're just at the county fair trying to get his kids, trying right. to wrangle his kids. Well, that's what I want that whistle to do. I want to be able to communicate long distance. My sister can do it and it freaks me out that, you know, cause she'll gather her kids this way. Right. Cause she's got 28 children. Right. <laughs> Uh, and I, I, I have nothing like that. No, I have to just call them on my, I have to text them. Basically. That's my taxi whistle. I can do normal whistles pretty loud. Like I can go. And whistling has some tongue. So you, you've learned to overcome your handicap. Well, or I, I think it isn't a handicap when it comes Sorry, to disability. whistling. That's delightful. I can do lots of jaunty whistles. I can do whistles that aren't jaunty too. I can do sinister whistles, but I won't, I no, won't do it. I would now. like to hear what you think a sinister whistle. I won't do it. Whistle. No, I won't do it on the show. I don't want to scare people. I think the rest of the show should just be you whistling. No, no. I'm going to continue to talk about the brown sound, which is a legendary sound. Uh, there was speculation that as we had the technology to make extremely loud, extremely low sounds, because the, the, the range of human hearing is not the range of sonic capability, right? We know that whales communicate over great distances by making low frequency sounds lower than the human ear can perceive. We can hear frequencies between about 20 hertz and about 20 kilohertz. Oh. on the spectrum. Well, that and seems pretty good. It's, it's pretty great, but there so that's are thousands of Hertz. There are sounds below 20 Hertz that whales and elephants make sounds that, um, infrasonic, infrasonic sounds that we, it's one of the reasons or one of the ways we speculate animals can hear earthquakes oh, before they've coming. happened or, or in the case of the the giant tidal wave that affected Southeast Asia, all the animals fled the area. And this is somewhat apocryphal, but. But you get very good at uh, predicting bad outcomes that start with a rumble. That start with a rumble. And, and that's not all bad, bad things that can happen to you. Like many of the bad things that have happened to me in my life have not started with a, a, a dim distant rumble. That's right. But your, some will. Your first marriage ended and there was no, <laughs> there was no rumble associated with it that you could hear. But for a stampede say. Yeah. Or a tsunami. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout 
so the earth is a much better medium for transmitting sound over long distances than air is. Do you, ever, is, do you ever use this in your music? Do you ever just tilt your amp down to the ground at Stonehenge and, and just play a rock and solo? There are bands, as you mentioned, uh, the Ravenettes do it and My Bloody Valentine famously, but a lot of the British shoegaze bands took this as part of their sound to put big, big subwoofers on stage and then make this extremely loud, like sonic assault as, as part of their, as part of their show. Um, sounds that you couldn't protect yourself against with merely earplugs because it was hitting you in the chest. It was affecting how you, that's true. I needed, you a, I needed like a chest plug. I needed one of those things that umpires wear basically. And this is being transmitted through the air. Like if those sounds were being transmitted through water, for instance, they would be much they would have a much greater effect on you, a much more violent effect. Imagine if I had taken the Ravenettes and, and drowned them in quicksand. Well, you'd both have to be in quicksand. You couldn't just drown them and then stand up above and it wouldn't be the same. You'd feel it in your feet. I could laugh. But this is a thing we talk about when the Navy does deep water oh, testing yeah, of, the, of explosives or, or sonar. The dolphins hate it and the whales hate it. The, they hate it and they hate it at great, it, it's affecting them at long distances and not just dolphins and whales, but conceivably all sea life is used to hearing sounds within a certain range and quite a bit uh, deeper sounds than, than we can hear with our ears because the medium that the sound is being transmitted. And can animals also hear higher sounds as well? I mean, famously the thing about dogs could hear that little whistle at the end of Sergeant Pepper's. We even have the phrase dog whistle. Dog whistle is right. Which is back in a distant time when we used to have to pretend not to be racist uh, to to achieve high office in America. <laughs> you can you can set your little dog whistle out and only your followers understand what you're saying. Only people in the South know what I'm saying yeah, when I talk about welfare, star. Moms, it's a sheriff star, Ken. It's urban problems. But now we don't have to say, now you can just be like, it's the Jews, basically. Yeah, apparently. And, and a big... I mean, it's not good. All your fans it's, will be like, it's, yeah. It's awful. But a huge percentage of the country will be like, yep. Thank goodness someone can finally someone say it. Telling it like it is. Well, there was a brief period between 1989 and now when you <laughs> couldn't say it. And now we're back to being able to say it. Good times. But dog whistles were a real thing, right? Dogs can hear Well, there pitch. are plenty of sounds above 20 kilohertz that a lot of animals can hear. The young people can hear higher sounds oh, than yeah. old people. Have you heard about this thing where they'll... Um, They'll broadcast these, uh, what do you call it if it's too high? If it's not infrasonic, it's ultrasonic. Uh, ultrasonic. They'll, they'll broadcast these kind of ultrasonic sounds outside like convenience stores because the teens will be annoyed by them and leave, maybe without even knowing why. Well, so there is some, I, I heard from a good friend uh, in just last night, as a matter of fact, a, a friend of mine named Reggie Pace, who has a band called the No BS Brass Band, was playing here in Seattle. And he said that young people now are using... Uh, ultrasonic sound generated by their phones to communicate with each other around grownups who can't hear the sound. I heard this. So they'll too. be sitting in class and they'll send little bees to each other and everybody will get it. So and they all know Morse code? I mean, who knows? I can't hear it. I mean, the dress looks like it's golden white to me. I don't even know <laughs> what this blue and black dress looks like. So that is true. But there's another phenomenon, uh, a phenomenon called the hum which is in certain situations, like in, uh, there was a Bristol hum, there was a famous hum oh, in yeah. Taos that people reported making them feel extremely uncomfortable. It was affecting their sleep. It, it was causing irritation. They could hear this 
hum that was imperceptible to most people and could not be detected with instruments. Do you have any idea if it was high end or low end or? Well, so uh, most of the time, a low end sound, this hum was more, uh, it was more frequently perceived by middle-aged people. Uh, young people could uh, very rarely could hear it. Uh, elderly people also, it was mostly people in their forties that complained about the hum. Well, we've talked about mass stereo on the show before when we were talking about dancing in the entry about dancing mania. Is it possible that, uh, that's one of the, one of the, there is no hum. Uh, one of the explanations is potentially that it's just uh, mass hysteria. You know, the, the human ear generates its own tones. Sometimes I hear tones all the time. I do too. What's going on in there? Just will happen It'll for a just while. Turn on. It's something that your ear is doing within itself. Just some vibration that causes a tone. And you're like, Oh, what is that about? But those tend to be kind of mid range tones. Um, my first exposure to infrasonics is just getting you off on a, cause I've heard about this thing about low sound causing anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they'll put it in movie scores or whatever. Well, and this is a, this is a very real thing. Uh, there was a, a, a paranormal researcher by the name of Vic Tandy who was, uh, in a laboratory and reported feeling, uh, he saw out of the corner of his eye, a ghost. And when he turned to look at it, it was gone but he felt a tremendous sense of, of supernatural unease. And he, because he was a researcher, he, and there what's, was, what's a paranormal researcher doing in a laboratory? Well, you know, it was this guy a, was in his den, which is his laboratory. <laughs> and his wife's like, what are you doing out in the garage again? I told you to do the dishes. Why are you eating those Stella Doro breakfast treats? <laughs> uh, no, it was, um, he has a laboratory and the next day, after feeling this ghostly presence, mm -hmm. he was working on his fencing foil. Wait, what? Within his laboratory, he was uh, fixing his foil. It's a very well-stocked paranormal laboratory. This guy is, I mean, you don't know what a paranormal researcher is going to be up to. Well, I know you walk around your neighborhood swinging at ghosts with a sword. So I apparently, do. did you get it from this guy? No, no, no. I've been, he got we, it from you. We were independently researching the paranormal. And, you, and you've both discovered the best way to do it? With a fencing foil. Well, he had the ghosts his, don't use epee. He had his uh, epee in a clamp. And the, the blade started vibrating uh, violently. Hmm. And rather than suspect that it was a ghostly presence, this paranormal researcher used science. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's going to get kicked out of the club. And determined that there was a fan within the building that was vibrating at 18 or, or uh, very close to 19 kilohertz. Or I'm sorry, very close to 19 hertz. Because the bottom end. Right. And it was creating this low oscillation that vibrated his sword, but that he was feeling bodily. And he realized that a lot of the time, uh, or, or rather that, that low, low notes like that and, and, and vibrating at a certain oscillation can create a feeling of dis-ease or unease within a person that is very close to the feeling of having a supernatural experience. It will like the human eye will start to vibrate and give you the appearance of sort of cloudy forms in your periphery. Because the oh, eye, you could, you could actually get visual stimuli. You, you, get, you get visual hallucinations because the eye is vibrating at this uh, sort of hallucinatory oscillation. But also, the effect within the body is one of not just like uh, intestinal unease, but actually it conveys a presence, uh, an unearthly and ominous presence. I, uh, so I came across this as a kid and I thought it was made up. I was reading these, um, these kids mystery novels, kind of like 
like Hardy Boys, but a little better. Uh, Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah, it's about that era. The Three Investigators. Did you mm-hmm. ever read these? I remember them. I didn't read them. They're three kids from Southern California, and uh, they're better. They're written by. Uh, so, so the gimmick is that Alfred Hitchcock is like their benefactor. The real director, Alfred Hitchcock, is interested in these kids and uh, helps present their cases somehow. Mm-hmm. The, which he's a fictionalized Hitchcock. It doesn't even make sense. Oh, of course. As long as a Hollywood director is helping me and my. Um, middle school friends publicize our little mystery adventures. What's he doing? Like, if you were going to have, he have a, a newsletter. Yeah. If you were going to have a corpulent like benefactor, why not have Winston Churchill? Sure. Or get like a, get a newspaper editor or a writer. Of course, right. Uh, somebody writing for the daily planet. Anyway, but their idea is that somehow having Hitchcock on their side is very big for these kids who live in a fictional LA suburb. And, uh, in their very, and it was written, I think by, um, some of these pulp writers that worked for Hitchcock's mystery magazines. Mm -hmm. So they're very well written for, for, of the kind of, they're super popular in Germany to this day, even though they're out of print in the U S anyway, the very first book is kind of a haunted house that they're determined to debunk, but they can't even get close to it because every time they go in this place, they feel this intense sense of rising panic that that they can't point to any reason for. Uh And the solution to the mystery, and this is in the early sixties, I think turns out to be somebody is blaring, which one's lower, infrasound at the kids. So this was a known paranormal thing in children's literature in the 60s, apparently. And there's a lot of speculation that hauntings and uh, like a lot of these things can be explained by the presence of, and in most cases unwitting presence, of low oscillating sounds because we have factories that are emitting these low, low tones and sure. and and quite a few of these hums, like there were some hums in Windsor, Canada, that it kind of was revealed were coming from factories in Detroit, big mechanical processes that were, that were, you know, vibrating. But the the Canadians were so happy that they could blame America. Oh yeah. Well, and the, the acid rain too. There was one famously here in West Seattle, the West Seattle hum. I can see why they would call it that. Yeah, I guess it it stands to reason. No, actually, the West Seattle hum is from Pasadena, California. That's just insane. Well, Uh, the West Seattle hum, it turned out, was a fish mating call. (laughs) What kind of fish? There's a fish called the midshipman fish, which lives in the mud and has a lot of little nubbins on its back that look like the... Uh, like your tongue. No, well, like my tongue, but also like the brass buttons on the front of a midshipman's mm. tunic. The midshipman fish being a very unusual fish, there are female midshipman fish. Midship women. And then there are two, ki- two entirely different kinds of male midshipman fish. Why is that weird, John? Gender's it's, a spectrum. It's not weird, but it is, it's unusual in that they, the two types, male one and male two, use entirely different strategies stratagem for attracting a mate. Midshipman male fish type one are eight times larger than male midshipman type twos. Male shipman, male midshipman fish type twos have genitalia, which are eight times larger than male midshipman fish type ones. So their three sexes are female grower and shower. That's right. <laughs> I feel like this is not too different than this is not too different than humans. Honestly. No, it's true. If you've ever been in a locker room, you know that there are two types of male midshipman fish there. But it turned out that they were down in the mud, going. I'm the big guy, and that was that was reverberating and bothering people in West Seattle. 
Well, I feel like people in West Seattle need to be more accepting. Like we're good progressives here. If the fish are getting up to all kinds of shenanigans in the mud, we just need to be like, well, it's not hurting me. It seems like most they're of consen- the- They're consenting midship men and women. Most of the old school progressives of West Seattle are starting to move to Burien and they're being replaced with much more accepting West Seattleites who maybe not coincidentally are making a lot more money too. If the, in- if the infrasound is supposed to explain go- haunted houses and whatnot, here's my question, yeah. John, how do you explain Slimer? Huh, well, Slimer is very problematic. <laughs> so I try not to explain Slimer. What kind of vibration is going to make me see Slimer? <laughs> Slimer is a ghostly apparition. You know, you're, you're, you're adding on your own anxieties to the vibrating clouds that you see on the, on the periphery of so your there is So no, there is no frequency that produces Slimer. The Slimer is in you, no! Ken. Yes, I'm afraid I so. I was the real Slimer all yeah, along. Yeah, be the Slimer you want to be. There's a, like a fat green old man, a fat green was <laughs> Churchill inside of me as well. <laughs> there, uh, there is a lot of evidence that sound can be not can not not just create discomfort, but can be actually damaging. Uh, there, there have been experiments, as you can imagine. We are we're often talking about uh, scientists taking rats and really punishing them by, um, by taking them to Ravenet shows. If you broadcast super loud sound at mice between the frequencies of 700 kilohertz all the way up to 3.6 megahertz, um, the mice will explode. It does tremendous actual physical damage to their intestines. And this is why been, is it specifically the intestine? That's interesting. Well, it just, is it that vi- the most resonant part of me? Yeah, I, it vibrates in the, I, I shake the, when I laugh like a bowl full of jelly within the core of your body. It, uh, you know, you're th- that is the place at which you are the most liquid, okay. right? Your, your intestinal stomach area is where, you know, where you are the most. Is it because of the, the stuff I'm digesting? I mean, there's hardly any bone there. You're just supported on a, on several bags of gloop and glop. I'm getting to the point where I don't need a sound cannon. Like just getting out of a car, <laughs> I, I will start to jiggle <laughs> in parts of my midsection. And so that is uh, somewhat behind the idea that you could, with with sufficient uh, power, sufficient sort of electrical power, because you'd need quite a bit of it to generate a sound this loud and this low, uh, that you could create a sound called the brown sound, which would penetrate the human body and cause you to involuntarily defecate. And I, so this is why it's called brown, just because poop is brown? Well, brown sound has been used to describe these kind of low sounds because they just, I mean, if you're going to put a color spectrum brown. onto sound, if you are a, a, a synesthete, uh, it just, they just seem browner than, I mean, it's not really like a pink sound, right? It just feels darker and deeper and earthier. So aren't things like pink sound actually terms of art? Like I have a... I have a white noise app on my phone. Which there it I, is, white noise. Which I, I like. You know, I think white means it's all the frequencies equally mm-hmm. or all the, you know, or a certain range of frequency, but all at the same volume. But then I, the app could also shape that sound. Into a pinker into sound. Into different, yeah. And it would be called pink noise and it would sound a little warmer. Mm-hmm. And there was even brown, I could choose brown noise. I mean, And I don't know what bunch of synesthetes got together and decided, this sounds way pink, man. But it's the way we describe all sound. You say, you know, you want to warm it up and warm suggests yellows and, you know, adding 
adding qualities. If you if you buy lights uh, at the supermarket or at the drugstore or wherever you buy lights, I have no idea where you're, people buy lights. You're you're really you're really very you're in a real existential crisis now about not knowing where people buy lights. Well, I feel like George Bush the first who has never been to a grocery store. Right. Like I'm I'm just like uh, you buy lights at the light store. I don't know. I mean, I get a, I guess. Does I your get mom at, still change your light bulbs? No, John? I get them at Costco. I guess, and that I was I was or uh, at Lowe's. I was hesitating to. To, to use a brand name? Yeah, to use those brands. Because what if Sam's Club wants to sponsor the I show? I not in the want future? Sam's Club to give me my light bulbs. But you buy them on a spectrum of light from cold to warm. Right. And, and those are just, colors. So it's using colors to describe light, but I'm right. okay with that because light actually has Light is color. made of colors, but right. sound, not so much, But we right? do the same, like higher frequency sound we think of as bright. Is this a musician thing? Because I've, I've heard people say they want to brighten the tone. That's right. Or, so uh, like symbols are very bright and low drums and low sounds we, we call, you know, dull, I guess. Do people use colors? They do, absolutely. You know, they say, can you, well, think about the blues. Ah. Um, we talk about color in music a lot. And it's, a, and it's not just synesthetics. It's, uh, it's connected to emotion too, It right? is, absolutely. You can feel blue. Um, you can see red. I mean, color is one of the number one ways we use to describe things. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. So I, I, when I looked up Brown Sound, because you said you wanted to tell the future about it, yeah. the first thing I found was Eddie Van Halen using it as a word for a kind of guitar tone that he aspired to that was not harsh, uh, I don't know, understand which which amp or which humbucker or whatever, but for somehow it gives it a warm tone that to him felt brown. When Eddie Van Halen first arrived on the scene in the 1970s and people were curious about his tone because he had a very distinctive distortion, uh, he described it as the brown sound, which was a combination of Marshall amps and a certain DiMarzio pickup. Yeah, it's not, it's not playing technique at all, right? No. Well, he says that the brown... So as time's gone on, Eddie Van Halen has... Uh, his sense of what the brown sound is has evolved. So he recognizes that his playing style contributes to the brown sound, but it's also become a kind of elusive aspiration on his part. It's the, it's funny that it's his rosebud. (laughs) He, he's always searching for the Brown sound and, and and can never reach. It's like the lost chord. Yeah. He can never quite find it. There it is. The perfect Brown sound and he can't quite get it. He dreams of it. Yeah. He likes his M&M's green and his sound. His sound Brown. Brown. Well, I don't understand why you would choose Brown. Well, it's, uh, it's a, it's a dull, it's a, well, it's a kind of, it's thickness. a color that fades. And, and uh, within rock and roll, 
there's an interesting effect, which is that sometimes very trebly tones end up communicating a kind of deep and full sound. And it's partly because in a rock band, you've got bass drum and then the bass guitar holding down these low frequencies. And really like uh, the best guitar tones are often incredibly trebly. Um, Brian May's guitar tone, famously trebly, but when he hits those big thick chords, it it doesn't feel trebly. It, it, it feels very resonant and dark. And guitar players are often making the mistake of trying to make a dark sound by taking the treble away, when in fact it's a little bit um, counterintuitive, well, or yeah. quite counterintuitive, that you actually turn the treble up to accomplish the effect of a dark tone. It uh, feels like the problem is that... Um you know, the guitarist's idea that they're playing the most masculine phallic instrument at all, you know, mm. they're, they're jutting it out at you and, uh, actually and, the and didgeridoo is the, is the most masculine of all instruments. Okay. The second, <laughs> the most masculine rock instrument. There's not a lot of rock didgeridoo. Although you do put the didgeridoo in your mouth. So it's like a, it's a different experience of masculinity than, <laughs> than the guitar, which is at your waist. But equally valid if, you know, if you went to certain, depending on which boarding school you whoa, went to. Whoa, whoa. Right. But this instrument that to them connotes masculinity actually does this, yep. you know, a, a, a high pitched sound that could even be harsh or squeaky. You know? Right, right. So that what they want is something that conveys the muscular nature of the art to them and to ignore the fact that the sound is not the most masculine sound in the band. Well, it depends. If you think of high sounds as being pink and low sounds as being black, yeah, I guess, or low sounds being blue, I guess if you are, it's mostly if exact. you're somebody with a really conventional sense of, of color associated with gender. I guess it's more like men having lower pitched voices. Right. Less, less of what they, what color diapers they wore. Well, and super duper death metal or heavy, heavy metal now, they use seven string guitars. They tune their guitars down a full mm. step or more to, to actually create much lower sounding Because music. Satan has asked them to. Satan didn't just ask, Ken. Does he command? Satan doesn't ask. He doesn't, he doesn't send a memo. Satan just says, he Satan snaps his fingers. He doesn't do an onboarding call. No, I'm afraid not. Satan just, you know, he posts his theses on the, uh, on the door of the church and everybody gets in line. I am displeased at your harsh, high pitched guitar tone. <laughs> Signed the management <laughs> of hell. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but I distract you. Eddie, so this, the brown sound in your bowels has little to do with what Eddie is trying to accomplish. So, uh, and I, I don't think that Eddie, when he, when he described his tone as brown sound. He doesn't want teenage girls out there defecating at the show. No, I don't think he was, he was maybe not conscious of the brown note, which was something that the, that the military actually did several experiments or spent quite a bit of time trying to find this note. And I, I've always said that if I were to be a superhero within the Marvel canon, um, that maybe the most effective weapon you could have as a superhero would be the power to make your opponent involuntarily defecate. Because even fighting Superman, what? someone who has all of the power in the world, if you made him poop his drawers, he's going to stop fighting for a little while and go clean up. But here's what you're saying. You're saying uh, it's a supervillain's power. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's totally useless for a superhero because if, if you make... Well, no, if you made Dr. Ock, if you made Doc Ock poop his pants, he's going to stop doing his villainy for no, a minute. No, he's a sociopath. He doesn't care. He's going to be like... Of course he cares. He's like, I'm going to keep, uh, you know... Um, 
Rend, rending Spider-Man limb from what's he doing? He's not robbing banks. Is he robbing banks? I don't know. No, he's, he he's bent on, uh, on destruction of some kind. Yeah. And he's like, I can work on world domination while I smell like poop. He doesn't I mean, care. Maybe the Joker would keep on keeping on oh, doing yeah. villainy if he had pooped. But most people, even the, even the worst, deadliest supervillains are going to say, I mean, imagine Magneto like being forced to poop. He's going to say like, hold everything. Let me go. Like, I've got to go change my tunic. See, this is where you're wrong. Magneto's been in the camps. You sure. know, he's been through the, he's seen the worst of what humanity has to he's offer. He's been in the shit, literally. <laughs> you're right. And he still has this crystal clear vision that he's going to accomplish at all costs, mutant superiority. And it's not at all costs if my tunic has no poop on it. I don't, I don't think that we can really know, but I think that if you think about the, uh, the Marvel universe or superheroes in general, you never see them in the potty. Um, it's always, it's, I mean, it's always assumed, but some of these superheroes. It's like a 60s TV show where nobody even has a bathroom. Yeah. Some of these, uh, some of these superheroes have incredible powers, but does that extend to their defecation? What do Superman's poops look like? It's, I mean, are they little like titanium balls? What are they? Could they could be as hard as you want because he also has a, you know, a colon of steel. Right. To expel it with. So perhaps, it, I, perhaps his, his, the way he would counteract my, uh, my brown sound powers would be to just make his poops into diamonds. So he's <laughs> yeah. like involuntarily filling his pants with diamonds. You always see him do this with his fist, but never with a sphincter. <laughs> a lot of the other superheroes are wearing full body tights. That's the thing. So going to the bathroom is not just, um, you know, it's, it's going to be very time consuming. Right. You don't see a little butt flap on those things. Right. Cause think how much Doc Ock would make fun of Spider-Man. Well, imagine how painful it would be to poop diamonds. I guess they would be uncut diamonds, right? So they're rounded edges. He doesn't care. Nobody who can poop diamonds has a regular size colon that's going to get torn up by I it. wonder if his sphincter is so strong that it could actually cut diamonds as he's pooping them. Like cut them like a, the way a jeweler would. Yeah. Cut them like a jeweler. So like, he's like, actually, you could have a request. You could be like, uh, I want a bevel cut or whatever. Right. I want the princess cut. I want the crown of India or whatever. He takes requests. Yeah. But in recent years, uh, although the Brown sound spoiler alert, is this possible? That's what I want to know. The Brown sound through all the research has never, no one has ever accomplished a brown note. It is the lost chord. That's right. Um, the television show starring our friend Adam Savage, the Mythbusters TV show, actually did an entire episode where they got some of the top audio engineers in the world to build an enclosure that could cre create these sounds down at five hertz. And um, they positioned Adam in the, in the middle of a semicircle of these super subwoofers and blasted him with sound. And yeah. although... It has to be Adam because the other, the other guy would never do this. No, Jamie was... He's, he's, uh, that guy's no fun. No, he's not going to be the one that gets blasted. Adam's a good sport. He's the one that blasts. But, uh, but <laughs> at, you know, Adam reported that he felt incredible discomfort and uh, he felt his lungs vibrating and he felt, you know, his whole body... Having this experience that I've had at a My Bloody Valentine concert, which is just like, I cannot escape this sound. And in fact, there is some suggestion that sonic waves at these frequencies create so much dis uh, disorientation that you can no longer move to get out of the way of them. Oh. Um, but Ad Adam reported that despite all of this, he did not feel uh, either the need to defecate nor did it happen involuntarily. And so they they decided that the brown note was a busted myth. 
It's funny to me that um, this is a failure. Like they, it sounds like what you're saying is they've effectively invented a paralysis ray. If it's true that people can't move, but so they've made something really a, a terrible, uh, twisted, sick uh, weapon, a paralysis ray, and they're just bummed that you don't you don't also poop. Well, what what, what happened, we really wanted was for them to poop. What happened in all the of commies. these experiments is that they did create sonic weapons. They're not at low frequencies. They're at high frequencies. Mm. A company called LRAD has built a sound cannon, which was actually used during the Ferguson riots uh, in Missouri. I like how we're using the new stuff domestically first. Yeah, that's a, well. That's always good. So, no, they've been, the LRAD cannons have been used in Fallujah as a beam weapon, basically. You can target uh, the beam of sound. Um there were there was a lot of different sonic warfare used in Iraq. Some of it was just really high, um, high volume insults. Uh, the LRAD cannon can be used to communicate actually audible sound at great distances. High volume insults, like they would actually be like it would be like insulting their Don family. Rickles? No, like insults like your mother is a dog, uh, but blasted at. Great volume. Do you remember when they had Noriega in the uh, in the embassy in '89 or whatever, and they were playing like uh, uh, heavy metal? Yeah, yeah, they were playing. They actually played the Doors at uh, Noriega. <laughs> I think that might have been what caused him to surrender eventually. I, it looks like this is they were choosing playlists that had puns, like "I Fought the Law" by The Clash. <laughs> like, like the lyrical content is supposed to make Noriega give up. Like, oh, what a sick burn! Well, this is how fun the U.S. Army was in 1989. By the time of the the Iraq War, they'd lost all that sense of humor, and they were just like, like your your mother is a camel. Yeah, your mother is a camel. It's not fun anymore. During Vietnam. They used uh, loudspeakers to broadcast both insults and also kind of like give up. There's no chance you can win. Famously in Apocalypse Now, uh, they played Ride of the Valkyries as they were storming in. They, they would have played The Doors, but people would have just been grooving on it too much. Yeah, it would have been just like, oh, yeah, The Doors yeah. are in every Vietnam movie. <laughs> uh, but now the LRAD company or corporation has, um, we have now the power to generate tremendously loud noises, so loud that they cause this paralysis, they cause ear damage, they cause... And is this supposed to be a certain kind of... Is the idea that this is like non... Whatever you call it? Non-lethal. Non non-lethal, that it's like it's like spraying protesters with hoses. It's a... Uh, you get people to stand down without actually doing anything? Or, or are these now so awful that effectively we are supervillains? Well, it's like tasers or, or um, beanbag shot that the... Uh, the police are claiming that they're non-lethal and that it's just uh, it's just crowd control, mm -hmm. but they are in fact very damaging. You know, you can burst people's eardrums. Sure, you can uh, in some cases cause brain damage. The brain is so uh, affected by this beam; it vibrates so much that it creates a kind of like frontal lobe damage. Yeah, it seems uh, like it, this could be worse in a sci-fi way than lots of conventional warfare. It can. There's a there's a famous uh, incident in 2005. There was a cruise ship called the Seaborne Spirit, which was sailing off the coast of Somalia during the heyday of the Somalian pirate. And uh, the pirates were attacking the Seaborne Spirit and firing actual like shoulder-fired rockets at it. It's a cruise ship? A cruise ship. Why, is that, why are they cruising well, they Somalia? Well, they were headed to the Seychelles or Madagascar or something. It was an exotic cruise, not mm. one of these ones that just goes around Jamaica. And they had an LRAD sound cannon on board. 
And these cannons can fire up to uh, 162 decibels, which is audible over uh, over miles can in you, the open ocean. Is there any way you can help me? So 120 like, decibels. Jet engine or 120 decibels is the most, uh, or, or or rather, it's the level at human hearing where you start to sustain damage. Okay. Most rock shows try to keep it at about 90 decibels, uh, but decibels uh, they damage your ear more the longer you hear them at a constant state. Like you can hear peaks. Yeah, like of, a balloon popping is louder than an airplane taking off. It's yeah. just that it's only for a second. It's only for a second. And so those peaks don't do the sustained damage that, that notes at high decibels for long periods of time. This is 162 decibels is like a is like fireworks at three feet. Fireworks at three feet. Which is not where you want to be. But at us, at like, just a constant sound. Yeah. And actually the seaborne spirit was able to repel the pirates by focusing this sonic beam on them. And more, more recently than that, there was a kind of famous incident in Cuba where the staff of the U.S. Embassy there reported feeling great discomfort, uh, that they had headaches, they were feeling disoriented. Some of them actually measurably sustained brain damage. And there were a lot of accusations that it was the Cuban government using sonic weapons against the staff of the U.S. Embassy. Um, never, and this, never is, proved, I guess? this has happened in China, too. Mm. Well, just recently, uh, studies have shown or studies have speculated that what was happening in the U.S. Embassy was actually kind of like Vic Tandy discovered. They, there were instruments making subsonic vibrations, but in different places within, within the region, right? Uh, you could have a, you could have an oscillating fan or you could have a piece of electronic communication equipment that were making sounds, but that the sounds combined with one another ah. would create a sympathetic resonance or a standing sound wave where you can, th this is how noise canceling headphones or noise canceling technology works the noise canceling headphone will have a microphone that detects the noise that is bothersome. And then w it will create a, the opposite wave, the opposite wave that will cancel out huh. the other wave and create, you know, a, a silence. Right. But if waves are not directly opposite like that are, are clashing waves, they can combine to form a third sound or, or, or resonances across a whole chord, a whole spectrum of sounds. And so sound, unnatural sounds potentially were being made in the U S embassy by a broken fan over here. And maybe somebody was using subsonic communication over here. Like one of those floor polishing things. That's right. Some, some whale was farting. There were some, uh, some midshipmen, some fish. midshipmen fish. The, the big ones were resonating it, and the small ones were not a commie scheme there. They were vibrating their genitalia. So, and this has happened in China too. The governments of, of Cuba and China both, you know, vociferously denied that they were engaged in this sonic warfare. That is the way to deny something. That's how you would do it. If I you would were be, do it. I would be vociferous. You'd voci be vociferous. Sure. Well, and that vociferousness would actually potentially contribute to the sine wave that was causing the discomfort in the first place. And that concludes Brown Sound Entry 158.MT1517 Certificate number 42964 in the omnibus. 
You can try to choose to contact us through various kinds of standing waves, some kind of seismic activity. We're not teens, so we can't hear the little the little buzzing vibrations. Bury it's, yourself in, in the mud, in study hall, and send us some. It's got to come through the ground. Oh yeah, it's like the things that are talking to the whales in Star Trek. That's right. <laughs> um, if you can manage that, you could communicate with us possibly across time. Um, you could send us email, for example, at mm-hmm. omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Do it. We dare you. You could send us physical mail. I'm doing this in the other order. We could send us physical mail at Omnibus Project, uh, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. We, in turn, communicate with others. Um, we like to give people a vague sense of unease with our social media pl- presence. We like the cars, the cars that go boom. <laughs> We're Tigra and Bunny, and we like the boom. We are at Omnibus Project at uh, on almost every social media platform. Go for it. Try Facebook, and find Twitter, us on, on Steam. I dare you to find a social platform that we're not on. We're <laughs> find on, us on Kick. We're on Google. Uh, what was the Google one? Google. Oh, Google Life. Friends. Google. Google. Pe- Google. Petri dish. Pe- peeps. Google Peeps. Google Peeps. We were on Google Peeps. Um, you could find us individually on Twitter as at Tigra and at Bunny. Mm-hmm. No, at, at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. John's also at Instagram under the same name. Also, go to the uh, Facebook Omnibus Futurelings. I forgot about site. the Futurelings. Yeah, don't forget about the Futurelings. That's don't where, forget about Dre, and don't forget about the Futurelings. That's where all three genders of, of Futurelings are, are broadcasting infrasound at each other. Mm-hmm. But not for reproductive purposes. No, absolutely not. Just, to, just, just for entertainment. Good, purposes. clean, fun in the mud. Uh, from our uh, vantage point, uh, Futurelings and your distant past... Uh, we have no idea whether the sonic standing wave that we're creating in this show is causing you brain damage or not. But we hope and pray that that catastrophe, among others, may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.